Welcome to the Pivot Cast. This episode was recorded on May 3rd, 2018 at the Transact Club. This episode features readings from Sarah Vinart, Shane Rhodes, and Senna Yi. Shane Rhodes is the author of six books of poetry, including his most recent Dead White Men, out from Coach House Books. Other titles include Er, which was nominated for the City of Ottawa Award in 2012, X, which created poetry out of Canada's most uh, post-Confederation treaties, and The Wireless Room, which won the Alberta Book Award. Shane has also been awarded the National Magazine Gold Award for Poetry, as well as the P.K. Page Founders Award for Poetry. Shane lives in, surprise, surprise, Ottawa. (laughs) Welcome, Shane. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for coming out. Um, And thank you for the land acknowledgement as well. This is the first poem. Men with all their acumen and little melanin, men with their pens and manuscripts and little pots of ink, men with their sails and ships, those little pots of stink, brilliant men, all eminent andrologicians, let them manipulate you in their imminence, diminish you in their abandonment. See the glow of their monocled man vision, their helicopters rhythmically slapping the wind. We shall raz monuments to them and lament their chimeric commandments. Men sans pigment searching the firmament for fragments of land, something immense in the mangrove to smear their names upon, something to dominate with their unsheathed instruments. Unabashed men, maniform in their manners, a.k.a. manacles of man-whim, emancipated in their sheaves of the manicured fascicles. Appalling men, the sheer sheen of their mandates. See men greeting other men, hands raised. This gentleman captured in the woodcut at the map's edge is pinnacle of their movement. From sea to sea, men annulling. Men kindly given to husbandry and savagery, to balladry and bastardry, to many things sundry in the body vice of buggery, but never to drudgery all that shelter or laundry, all those sheets. Men, their quadrants fixed to the horizon, eye the menses of the moon. Of course, the Englishmen menaced Frenchmen who contradicted the Germans for complimenting Scotsmen whimpering to Tasmans for mangling their yeomen who demanded more seamen from their laymen. When the men write her, they are often referring to their ships. When demented for hymen, the men write, I put her politeness to every test, they may not be referring to their ships. An argument in the armament, a battle in the battlement, a testicle in the testament. We must manage our men. As the protest goes by, hear the common lament. Men man the margins, shaking their batons. In the poem, I raise my cell phone into the wind to record this moment and the luster of its enforcement. See their dead white faces in the crumpling map scrolls of surf. This is men, dormant in their element. Look at them examining the mental movements of undermen, of other men, the requirements of their virilescence, the sentiments of their women, the regulation of their enjoyments. They jot their masculine medicaments and mansplain in perfect diction that they have done this for us, for all of us, meaning us men. 
Bemantled with medals from their queens, reddling with ornaments from their kings, men slash their names into the mute trees, the forests for men. These are forefathers, men who would judge not man enough, not white enough, not dead enough. I am but a simple man, dickered with doubt, tanned pinkish beige by my computer screen, uncovering documents of men discovering men. Manipulative amanuensis to their dictation, I shell poems from prose and give them home. Immense in their engagements, manifold in their entanglements, the canons rage a common hymn of the establishments, all white, all men. This an amended amen to the ornamental sacrament within the parliament of men. So throughout the book, I, I play with a number of different texts from kind of uh, archetypal explorers of Canada. And this one plays with journals from John Franklin, the famous Canadian explorer, of course, who uh, died and lost uh, uh, all of his men up in the north. And they just found, of course, uh, under the reign of Stephen Harper, they found his ship uh, a few years ago, where the Inuit had said it had always been. And so this is a, this is a poem called All Well, which uh, were, the were the only, the last words that anybody found from John Franklin. He had uh, scrolled it on a, on a piece of paper that he had uh, stuck under a nookshook in the north. All well. At six, I managed a measurement, and the temp was 50. We halted, rested, observed the question, our companions, their bodies smelling like carrion. We continued our progress, then encamped, sore feet, weary, latitude 66, 53, 50, a herd of 20 muskox, exactly, exchanged misgivings on the Halifax leave, and I read the compass course, 10 degrees off true north. Ground cover of footprints, yet of men I record with shaking pen on a page rubbed raw against my chest. I am the first. We remained all evening with heavy thirst. I put my hand to his breast and drew the half-breed close, rank and rankless. My bowels hurt. Such weathers, your most high and Caesarian prince, move through me at times with load-bearing violence. Yet how your stars light a corpse. I was opposed by a gale north-northwest, driving us far without a southing. It's the worst and I want to rage against it as I rage against any failure I have no hope to resist. Gazing now at this disorient moment, I've put it all at risk. We supped on carrion bones and the acrid nerve cord left by wolves. The cold white against our famished bodies like the chest of a living animal split open, the organs quivering wet with spittle. Is this the passivity I was promised? To the monolith, master, a dangling magnetized needle, we suffer shoes half-eaten. But Cape Turnagain, that point, I named it. One thing that's uh, interesting, so I, I spent a couple of years kind of doing research for this book, um, looking at the at discovery texts, and uh, it's it's fascinating. One key thing of all discovery texts, I think, whether they're in Canada or Australia or other British colonies, um, is the uh, the vocabulary, because there was always the need for British explorers or French explorers or Italian explorers to begin to translate into their own language the indigenous languages that they were encountering. 
And so that, that became a key aspect of all the texts that I was reading. And so this is a poem made up of the vocabularies that were in the journals from Jacques Cartier uh, on his interactions with Indigenous people that he found when he was going along the St. Lawrence. He originally wrote his journals in French, and then they were translated into Italian and then eventually into English. And so this poem uses all three languages from the three different versions of the journals in the 15th and 16th century. So this is called Language of the Land Newly Discovered. The sky, la terre, the sun. The wind, il mare, the waves of the sea. La neige, someone is dead, look at me. Where do you come from? Ils appellent du. Where is he gone? Let us go to the boat. Give me a knife, un hachot, a bow, mio fratello. That is worthless. My sister, sing, laugh, cry, dance, my friend, run. This uh, this poem is uh, based upon the journals from James Cook when he he was traveling at the same time in the 1700s uh, when a number of explorers in Canada were as well. And the last part of this book is about a, a specific scientific venture that a bunch of explorers went on uh, in Canada and in Australia and in the South Pacific to measure the transit of Venus. Um, and so this is taken from his journals uh, around his, dis his discovery of Australia, and it's called Naming It. At the masthead, the officer called out that he saw a land which I named New Island because it was not laid down in any chart, and I hoisted an English jack and took possession in the name of his, his Britannic Majesty, calling them by the names that, as the natives do, was their idea of the sound of the names of Poverty Bay, which I named because it afforded us no one thing we wanted. So I named it Young Nick's Head after the boy who first saw it, and blank on account of its shape and figure, and Cape Kidnapper for two or three paid for this daring attempt with her lives, in honor of which I have named it Hicks Bay because he was the first who discovered it, and we did not learn that the natives had any name for this river of mangroves, which after displaying the English colors I took formal possession of in the name of his majesty, and named the river Thames, which occasioned my giving it the name of Bream Bay in honor of Point Peacock. After this, they began to pelt us with stones. So I called it Cape Turnagain because here we returned to Doubtless Bay, which I am confident was never seen or visited by any European before us. So I named it in honor of the Union flag and drank His Majesty's health in a bottle of wine and gave the empty to a native with which he was highly pleased. For which I have named them the traps because they lay to catch unweary strangers, like the ramhead this point going into Plymouth Sound, on which account I called it Cape Farewell for reasons which will be given in their proper place and be known on the chart by the name of Blind Bay or Cape St. George, we having discovered it on that saint's day. And on account of the new plants collected in this place, I gave it the name of Botany Bay, when I caused the English colors to be displayed and an inscription to be cut upon a tree, setting forth the ship's name, date, etc., which, which occasioned my giving it the name of Point Danger above False Bay, overlooking the islands of direction, with Cape Glass, with Cape Upstart in the distance, and Mount Warning, which very much resembles glass houses, which occasioned my giving them that name. Besides these, we saw some 
some bustards such as we have in England, which occasion my giving this place the name of Bustard Bay, and then Thirsty Sound, by reason which we could find no fresh water. So I named them Hope Islands, because we were always in hope, which I named them after the ship Endeavor, and this island where the ceremony was performed, I named it Possession. One thing uh, for all of the discovery texts kind of written in North and South America, um, one thing that becomes apparent is, of course, people weren't coming here just to discover. People were coming here to get rich. And gold was quite often at the heart of, of many of the explorations that were done in Canada and in, uh, in America and in Mexico, for sure. Um, like Frobisher, for example, who uh, has an island named after him in the north. He sent three expeditions there. It was all about gold. Um, and he took home boatloads of pyrite, uh, which turned out to be nothing uh, in England. And so this is a poem that's kind of connected, made from a, a, a different ideas of gold that, that were found in these discovery texts, and, and as well as kind of our modern approach to gold. I'll just read two parts of it. Gold. For it is beaten, and we are beaten for it. Crushed, mixed with mercury, stomped by foot. Because of an uncharacterized glacio-lacustrine unit and an oversteepening of the downstream slope, failure of the Mount Polly tailings pond was attributed to the passive voice. The long hole upplunge, down dip and at depth. An unlikely event, officials repeated upstream from the town of Likely and the Teshelik and Schutzel reserves. Rare. He saw then some of the Indians wore, wore gold rings and choice blue stones in their nostrils and ears. Orifice, lustful as any cyanide destruction circuit. A nug, a lump, a rough unshapen mass. Like my father before me, I too am a competent nozzleman, needed for heavy lifting in the mucking cycle, performing pre- and post-blast functions by hand at, thank God, $23 an hour child to the sun. After the Indians and mules were dead, the English brought in slaves from Angola, rich as Potosi. The toxins were deadly and certifiably organic. They held his feet to flame until the marrow spurted and still, for the life of him, he could not tell them where they would find it. For it finds its way to us and into us, whether through means magmatic, aeolian, or lithified. The ore body attacked mercilessly by percussive and rotary actions, the hydraulic multi-boom jumbo hammering the exposed rock face. One covered my eyes, then they made me fall to the ground and tore off all my clothes. Pulverized rock, cyanide and water held in suspension, like doubt. Then they cut out her tongue. The loss of containment was sudden, the quick-moving slurry, tree, mud, debris, and waterborne arsenic raising the downstream lake. Fear retreated then to the doré body and high-grade zones. Little thought to standard grind and carbon and pulp extraction, little care for how it glows golden white on skin. One of the cleanest lakes in the world, now the country's most urgent news release. Six nines fine, buried deep in Manhattan granite. It fell with such weight to the bottom of Lake Texcoco, held in the arms of men. Just read a, a couple more. So this is a book, it's, it's a reversible book, and don't watch it too closely. It does induce nausea. 
Um, and so the uh, I've got a lot of the exploration poems going one direction, and then I've got a long poem uh, about this the 1769 measurement of the transit of Venus. So it was about a number of explorations that took place in Canada and in the South Pacific to measure the transit of Venus, which would give for the first time in human history in the 1700s, an accurate distance between Earth and the Sun. <clears throat> and so this is a poem that's a long poem that's made up of uh, about 40 different uh, excerpts from 40 different journals. So I'm just going to read one poem from there. We deviated from weather with heavy rain, only with rain with, with heavy weather, and showers of rain or squally with rain or lightning and rain or hazy with rain or attended with rain or very much rain all day or hail and rain or snow and rain or rain and snow or the night being dark and rainy or the day being light and drizzly or it rained very fast or it rained very slow. Almost all of the time it rained to a very great strain or a constant refrain or the sea is certainly an excellent school for patience. Wind round their heads with rain enough to knock men's brains out. Is it any wonder I lost my mood? As the grass began to spring up very fast in the bare places and the gooseberry bushes, bushes to put out their buds in wind westerly blew very strong, wind power all the nub, and I told thirty-two islands of ice while two black servants perished in the night with cold in the southwesterly swells I have been speaking of constantly spared us from the, all the winds we have not before discovered. And so we kept plying to windward all night, plying to windward all this day, and plying to windward all this afternoon afternoon without getting in the southwest quarter. And we made the island of Resolution at the entrance of Hudson Strait, and there came alongside of us three Eskimo in their canoes while we waited for a gentle breeze to blow from Upper Savage Island to Utopia and Cape Flyaway. Just going to read one uh, last uh, new poem. There's a magazine I've been fascinated with uh, ever since I was a kid. I grew up in a farming town. My parents were farmers. And there's this one magazine called Farm Show. And it's a kooky little magazine because it's, uh, it's put out, I think, monthly. And it collects uh, across uh, America and Canada um, kind of inventions of farmers. And uh, if you've ever grown up in a farming community, you know that farmers have a fair bit of free time in the winter, especially. And so you get all of these crazy inventions and all of these farmers wanting to tell the rest of the world, or at least the rest of the farmers, about the things that they've discovered. And so this is a poem that's created by going back through four decades of the headlines from this journal and putting it all together into one poem. So it's called Farm Show. Rare, so these are all headlines. Rare black chickens have no white meat. New slant on milk manure handling. Ever seen a white buffalo? How about a covered family uh, wagon family vacation? Lasso failure. Are you next? Don't make these mistakes. Japanese you amniotted feed transmission oil. Hog barn built from straw bales. Real roadkill fashions. Hog designer glasses. Nose socks. Earmuffs for calves. Chicken hats. Feather neckties catching on fast. These hogs think they're horses. These cows will shake your hand. This farmer hires human scarecrows. This sh shoe store for horses is the world's largest. 
Look what they're doing with llamas. Runaway tractor stopped by gunfire. Dairy farmer salutes cows with sculpture. Put your farm on your gravestone. Wife puts tractor on top of silo. Dog nurses little pigs. Chicken flying contest catching on fast. Manure sculptures fertilize lawn. You'll be pleased with guard donkeys. This Nebraska mule makes history. An exceptional girl meets an exceptional horse. Stripper peels off caked manure. Florida farm raises floor leaf clovers. Eight and one half foot kept this Iowa farmer warm. Built your, build your own scrotum measuring stick. They made the world's biggest nutcracker. Sculpted cow rides heard on family tree. Cow stuck looking for greener pasture. Build your own swimming pool for horses. Do-it-yourself milking machine for mice. Skunk farmer hopes to get stinking rich. Butterfly ranching catching on fast. Add on wings keeps ears in header. Farm couple breeds exotic zonkey. Big demand for jumping mules. Herd dog watches dream shut dream sheep. Lightning starts parked tractor. Build your own gun-shaped barbecue. He shot his well. Ever seen a hairless calf? Ever seen a horseless horse show? Four sisters corral husbands. Robotic robotic sow grunts like the real thing. Artificial leg kept Meg the cow going, look what they're doing with goats. Scarecrows make unique Father's Day gift. Wood-burning tractor runs on smoke. He's building the Great Wall of Canada. She found an egg inside an egg. He rides zebras. She milks horses. He trained buffalo to win races. She created a corn cob masterpiece. He puts bras on dairy cows. She taught llamas to square dance and other ethnic movements not of their country. He teaches cattle to eat snow. She warms newborn pigs in microwave. He harvests little hay with mini horses. You'll never guess what they did with the world's largest boot, world's largest hoe, world's largest ball of twine, world's largest ball of barbed wire, world's oldest horse, world's fastest cow, world's smallest chicken, dog pulling contests catching on fast, build your own electroshock cow milker, totally automated self-stoker, look for something new, how about frogs, snail ranching catching on fast, craftswoman finds unique use for bull scrotum, company sells old deer parts, how to conduct your own funeral. Thank you. Shane Rhodes, ladies and gentle people. Senna Yi is from Toronto. She writes poetry, writes about films, and writes poetry about films. Her debut poetry slash nonfiction collection, How Do I Look?, was published by Metatron Press in 2017. She's currently pursuing a PhD in cinema and media studies at York University, focusing her research on gendered robot design in media and technology. She is the arts editor at Shameless, a magazine for young women and trans youth. Um, so I'm gonna read a few new things and then I'll read from my book. So I thought I'd start off with um, I'm currently writing like a soft sci-fi. It was it used to be a novella, but now it's just become a bunch of vignettes that might make up a story. <laughs> so I thought I'd read um, a few from a few kind of vignettes from what I'm working on now. Um, and it's about uh, the protagonist buys um, an Android replica of herself that she wants to represent herself at social gatherings that she doesn't want to go to. <laughs> um, maybe inspired by when I didn't want to go out somewhere. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it's just kind of little pieces, 
yeah, little pieces from throughout. So I'll, I'll just say scene at the end of each one since they, they're kind of um, out of order. So these are the instructions that come with the Android replica. Fetch is your best self. Fetch is there for you by not being there with you. Fetch will eagerly attend any parties, reunions, dates, or other social gatherings when you do not have the mental capacity or energy. Never hungry, but always ready to eat. Waterproof, but does not need to shower or maintain oral hygiene. Does not sleep, but can simulate rapid eye movement and share dreams the next morning when asked. Does not lie. Can forgive. Does not forget. To begin, simply complete the following form online or on the official Fetch app available on iOS and Android for Fetch to download into its system. You may update these records anytime. The more detailed these records, the easier it will be for Fetch to function. So, scene. <laughs> I get a text from an unknown number. I ask them who it is. They say their name is Brock. Like Pokemon, I say back. What? They say. Uh, Never mind, I say. I show it to you. Do you know who this is? You shake your head. Maybe you're drunk and you gave your number out to a stranger again, you say. Maybe you should be quiet, I say. Ah, yes, Brock, a supporting character and rock gym leader in the popular game and franchise Pokemon, you say after a long pause. I said be quiet, I say. Scene. Are we not beautiful, you ask? Well, we're not ugly, I tell you. But no, we're, we're not beautiful. You inspect us in the mirror. I disagree, you say. Scene. Sometimes you freeze and glitch, but it's okay because I can just reset you with a simple touch. I tell you that this makes me jealous. You tell me that you do not understand because you do not feel jealousy, but you wish you could. I tell you congratulations, that is jealousy. Scene. You come home later than I would have, but that's not the problem. The problem is that you've cut your hair, our hair. Why, we don't look good with short hair. I have a big mole on the nape of my neck. For some reason, it is missing on you. I make a note in my phone to report this error and leave a bad online review in hopes of getting store credit. Scene. I can't find your instruction manual. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Scene. You know, you don't have to hide anything from me, you tell me. The more you tell me about yourself, the better I will be. I know, I tell you, but I don't want you to be better. Scene. After looking for wigs online and realizing that they cost a fortune, I cut my hair to match yours. Reluctantly. You say we look great. I can't look at you or at a mirror. Scene. You have to go, I tell you. No, I don't, you say. I don't have to do anything. Scene. I wake up and you are gone. I go on Google and search my full name with quotation marks under news. I am relieved. Scene. I grow up my hair and I think of you. Scene. I rename my accounts and delete everyone except for my family and 12 friends. I start looking at apartment listings. I start looking at remote jobs in Southeast Asia. I start looking for you. Scene. I only want to know where you are all the time so that I know where I should not be. Okay, so those were just a couple. <laughs> it's just like a trailer for a book, I guess. <laughs> um, so here's some new poems. I'll just fire through them and then I'll get to my book. Uh, this one's called Status. I delete 200 pictures of my cat to make room for a Pokemon Go update on my phone. As it downloads, I suddenly remember my childhood Neopets name, and I try to log back into my account. I can't remember my fake email or my fake birthday. I check my Neopets profile page. Their hunger status has been starving for over a decade. I email the Neopets staff begging for my pet to be put to sleep. 
My Pokemon update is complete, so I head outside to the Pokemon gym near my house. A guy with a man bun and a tattoo he says he got from a monk in Thailand mansplains to me what geocaching is. Mm-hmm, yeah, I say, taking the Pokemon gym from him before heading home. My cat is fast asleep, so I take my pictures of him. I check my email. The Neopet staff still haven't responded. I still haven't responded to my mom's emails. I refresh my Neopets page. Still starving. This one's called Boogie Nights. Marky Mark, John C. Riley, and other guy go to Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2's house to deliver a bag of fake cocaine. Cosmo enters the room in short shorts and a Rick Springfield crop top, lighting firecrackers, and we do not know why. The firecrackers go bang, bang every few seconds. He's Chinese, Doc Ock says. The whole theater laughs at this, and I do not know why. I wonder about it for the whole bus ride home. It must be some celebratory long weekend, because I can hear fireworks going bang, bang outside. I can see slivers of their powdery white light through the shadowy blocks of condos and office buildings. Fake cocaine. Something cosmic. I can't help but laugh. This one's called Gremlins. You must be stolen, and you must be a gift to society. You must do as you are told, and you must be easy to toss around. You must not form collectives with your own kind. You must be exotic, but you must be cute, and you must be likable. You must stay that way. This is how aliens are allowed to survive. This one's called Charlie's Angels. When we play pretend, there is never any question as to which angel I would be just like how there's never any question as to which angel would have to pose as a masseuse. Lucy Liu gives a massage to Tim Curry with her feet, shortly before a montage of the angels dressed in geisha costumes set to the song Turning Japanese. When I am older, a man yells out, massage, to me on the street, and I'm reminded of Lucy's French pedicure knocking him unconscious. That night, I paint my toenails fire engine red. I wait patiently for them to dry. This one's called Blade Runner 2049. I can be whatever you want me to be, except flesh and except bone. Is a body not enough if it cannot touch or be touched? Can you love me without touching me? Can you touch me without loving me? Would you like me to tell you the truth or a lie? Here are some. You are special. I am special. You're free to go wherever you'd like. You're free to go. You are free. And this last new one is called Jaws. It reminds me of you. No, not the shark. The shooting star and that quiet scene on the boat. Beautiful but brief. Okay, so now I'll, I'll read some from my book. This one's called Medusa. Beauty, power, and confidence without gaze. Then a man holds up a mirror and kills her. There is nothing mythical about that. Motherlode. Sarah and I always played The Sims with versions of us, our skater boy crushes, our celeb crushes, Fight Club era Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, and our enemies. My older sister helped us download cool mods. Makeup for My Chemical Romance music videos, tattoos and dermal piercings, BDSM outfits before we knew what the letters stood for, and Cloud from Final Fantasy VII's hair. 
We made our skater boy crushes fall in love with us in minutes. We took turns woohooing in the hot tub with Brad and Edward and giggled at the pixels. We made our enemies pee themselves and die by fire. We accidentally fell in love with each other and had to Google how to undo it. We, we cheated so we were forever full, rich, and young. We forgot that the skater boys never talked to us, that Brad and Edward didn't look like that anymore, that we kind of felt sorry for our enemies. Prom. I bought us pearl earrings for $5 from an elderly vendor in Chinatown. I told him how neither of us had ever owned anything pearl before. He knew they were fake, and so did I, and so did you, but it didn't matter. Later, you spilled Smirnoff all over the gown that you borrowed from your sister. I tried not to stare at the lace and sequins of your bra seeping through the soaked fabric. Having eyes only for you is just a glamorous way of saying that I am blind. This one's called Back to the Future. Back to kindergarten when he pulled his eyes up to mock mine. Back to fourth grade when he asked me to translate a line from Dragon Ball Z. Back to sixth grade when they asked if Jackie Chan was my dad. Back to ninth grade when I let him write me stupid racist love poems comparing me to sweet and sour sauce. Back to Frosh Week when he complimented my good English. Back to yesterday at the movie theater when he yelled, hey, chick, I want to f*** in the ass, and I cried to you over the phone in the bathroom. Now I pull his eyes back down. Now I tell him to use Google Translate, and I'm not Japanese. Now I tell them, yeah, Jackie Chan's my dad, and Lucy Liu's my mom. Now I write poems about his stupid racist love poems. Now I tell him his English is great too, but his manners not so much. Now I still cry to you over the phone in the bathroom, but now I know it's okay to do this. Bond Girls, Part 1, Lucia. Everyone loves older men and even older cities. But women must be girls, and preferably girls from out of town. But I've lived here my whole life. And when you died, I fell asleep and dreamt of somewhere with no men and no time. I ate creatures from the sea with no silver and no company. I taught myself to drive in a car with no roof and no brand. My hair was graying, nodding in the wind, but I did not reach out to brush it. I was alone, but I was not left behind. This one's called The Fast and the Furious. My mom is named after Rita Hayworth, but has seen none of her films. I am named after a Formula One race car driver who died in a crash during a race just two years after I was born. And just last year, I let my driver's license expire without ever getting behind the wheel. I make up for all this by winning Mario Kart, watching movies with cars and babes, and having you drive me around in your boss's convertible that he lends you when he vacations in Lyon. Paused at a red light with you, a guy crossing the street tells me to smile. You roll the roof back up and I feel everyone's lingering gaze. There's that satisfying mix of envy and respect and disgust, and I finally understood the appeal of stupid things like unscathed leather and purring engines and roadhead. Next week, I retake the driver's test, and when I get my photo ID taken, the guy at the booth tells me to stop smiling. I have to. So it's called Intimates. After finishing Boardwalk Empire, I bought my first and only slip. The woman at the lingerie store said, he'll love it, but I love it even more. It's burgundy, the same hue as my mom's knit hat, my prom dress, my favorite and only tube of lipstick, but with gold trim. It makes my breasts bumpy with lace, my belly cool and smooth.
This one's called Dolls Mania. My intro to nudity was those early 2000s doll maker sites. I was mesmerized by the dolls' base bodies with their legginess, pinched waists, belly button slits, and most of all their weird little pink pixel nipples. I would click, drag, drop, click, drag, drop, click, drag, drop my favorite slutty outfits and align them perfectly onto their base bodies. Micro mini skirts, sheer tops, spaghetti straps that were forbidden in grade school. My base body is dry and short and hairy. My base body is moisturized and plucked and shaved and stretched and covered up and stripped. My base body is dragged and dropped around online and offline. My base body is getting hungry, tired, and old. This one's called Paris. A group of guys yell ni hao at me on the Champs-Elysees with the same venom they would save for cunt. My friend doesn't know how to comfort me, but that's okay because neither do I. We find a side entrance to the Louvre with no lineup. Once inside, all the paintings blur together. Bougie garden parties, pale angels, goddesses with rosy cheeks and nipples. Ni hao, ni hao, ni hao, rings through my head. Sounds called CM Reap. I wake up at 4 a.m. to catch the sunrise at Angkor Wat. I accidentally take my pictures of monkeys and stray cats and temples. I shoot dirty looks at a white couple complaining about all the Asian tourists ruining their selfie in front of a tree. I hear the tree was in Tomb Raider. I forget about an old pack of boughs in my bag and so all my clothes smell like taro and pork belly. I take pictures of white people taking pictures of local kids for their Instagram. I want to cry when locals ask me where I'm from because I know they're trying to bring me closer, not push me away. I accidentally sleep through the sunset. I hear it was beautiful. Yeah, just a few more. This one's called The Beach. You ask if my swimsuit is new and I say no. I press a shell to my ear and all I hear is blood. The top of the mountain. It is beautiful because it has nothing to do with you. This one's called Vivre sa vie. Men in film school tell me about this famous film I haven't heard of. I have, I tell them. Oh, but you haven't really until you've seen the 35 millimeter print, men tell me. Men in film school tell me about how their girlfriend looks so much like Anna Karina reincarnated. But she's still alive, I tell them. Oh, I meant when she was beautiful, men tell me. Men in film school tell me about how their girlfriend, who looks so much like Anna Karina reincarnated, is the star of their short films. So it's like art, imitating life, imitating art. Godard abused his muse, I tell them. No, he loved her, men tell me. And this is the last one. It's called Dial-Up Internet Sounds. Like diamond rainstorms on Jupiter, the seaside snarling in the dark, you hanging up on me right as I'm saying goodbye. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Senna. And finally, Sarah Venart. Sarah Venart used to write under her initials SE, but screw that. Sarah's writing has been published in Numero Sec, Concrete and River, New Quarterly, Malahat Review, Fiddlehead, This Magazine, Prism International, and on CBC Radio. She is the author of two books, Neither apple nor pear, slash, wither, abfeld noch birn. Jeez. 
and woodshedding. Sarah lives in Montreal and teaches at John Abbott College. Please welcome Sarah Van Art to Pivot. Hi, everybody. So this is my first reading in, like, I don't know, 10 years, I think? Um, it was years before I could walk back to that doorway, figuratively hold the post of your fallen porch with its thousand green mason jars staring out toward the weathered barn. On each window, your dust held the shapes of the cobwebs underneath. Here is your father coming out the kick door. Inside, I've seen the hard-packed dirt on your kitchen floor, ketchup caked on the spoons, the bucket in the corner for the winter toilet. Outside, we have more in common, bus shelter at the end, for the, sorry, for the wait at the end of the lane, a broken look to our crabapple too, blue spruce, red pines, rows of crows on the electric wires, and the same wild square eyes in our animal we brought to breed with your animal. Um, this is also a, a poem that I wrote about a moment in, um, in Albert County, but it's a, a, a less happy moment, I guess. Not that breeding, watching animals breed is particular. Well, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, you learn a lot growing up on a farm. Yeah. Um, right, Shane? Um, when life widens wider. In, I suppose, a pinprick of hope, I look out his windshield, wanting it to be true. Northern lights or meteor showers or something to be there above the valley, so his hand on my thigh has an explanation, a need to point out exhilaration instead of the trope of furniture maker, rig driver, driving his babysitter home and stopping the car in the ditch. At two in the morning, much of what I think of what I think has an answer. The black map of pinpoints above can be joined to form bears and containers of milk, archers with arrows pointing to north to Hercules. But this all dissolves where his hand rests casually on my thigh, same hand that leaves porn magazines for me between couch, couch cushions, leaves cereal and sour milk, leaves the nails of his children's fingers dirty, and grasps, grasping for their one shared toothbrush. I squint into the distance above the hills to clear the chatter inside myself. If I want someone to be grateful for me, I don't know it yet. If I want a man's hand on my jeans, I don't know it yet. He decides to point to a series of dots above us. And among the voices in my head, I hear him saying, see, this is a kind of map. And I don't hate him for showing me that because yes, I see it too. It's a mess. Um, this is a poem called How It Worked. And it's kind of a call out without naming names. Um, but it may be someone who's familiar to some of you. <laughs> How it worked. The editor, 
pressed me against the glass door in the lobby of a building on Avenue du Parc. A payment promised, gold drink in my belly gliding into a liquid crown. I darted past a kiss, flew past a please, hit the glass of a sneer. I felt a delicate thing I'd constructed snap in two. I pulled the door closed between us. Outside on the stoop, I watched as he drew open his Italian coat and removed the tool he knew well how to use. Through the door, I watched him. He honed it and honed it. At the next poker game, my name is something thrown down on the green field of the table. It isn't a card or a chip that's worth much. It's just under advisement. She's not brave enough for my liking. Like that, I'm a payment reversed. I'm a fire in a groin going cold. Um, so I teach literature. I'm actually supposed to be teaching. I was supposed to be teaching today, and I took the day off. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I teach. It's not quite the end of the term. I've got 60 papers that say that it's not the end of the term. But anyways, I teach plot a lot. Like, just like, this is the rising action. This is the climax. This is the falling action. So I decided, embrace it, Sarah. Just embrace it and write about it. So this is a poem. I have two in here. I have epiphany and I have falling action. Um, I'm going to start with falling action because it's a sadder poem and I don't want to give it to you at the end of the... Yeah. So the falling action... Was she 69 or was she 70? Some people said a ripe old age. It's said that if the young learn that they are dying, they become holy. I suppose it's their face. It is said anyway. Above the barn sink, the glass held the reflection of a barn cat, cat leaping for a barn swallow. I saw it go down, slapping my wet hands and seething shit. Well, that's over. I looked everywhere for meaning in her pajamas and her somewhat holy face. I read poems to her that were little stories. Man walks into Autumn Beach Town, is a skunk, finds a skunk, the end. I made lemon custard. I set spoons on the two by four table. This is my gold-packed love. I pushed in her Puritan bench. The other side of the, of the window bloomed lilac. I can't say what I want that to mean. She was already above me, outside me, beyond me. Still, I brought a bowl to her table. Each spoonful, she spat into the napkin, her face lit with adoration for that later place. She made a device of folding her napkin into smaller squares, hiding my love without looking. But who can say, who can talk about what you will be and what you will miss every minute? We turned to Warren Sign's painted peaches, I recited. Once she looked up and said, I'll miss that face. Oh, how I hoped. I kept combing the moment. It was said, I returned to it. Falling action, flood lit. Anything could happen. Nothing fixed in place yet. Um, if there's one thing that I've learned about from being a mother, it's that you make, it's like you just make so many mistakes. And I thought I'd embrace that. And I thought I'd, I couldn't write, I was having trouble writing. And so I thought I'll embrace it and I'll use a form just to help me 
get it out. So I tried a ghazal because my colleague, Harold Hofel, who's also a poet, he was like, just try the ghazal form. And I was like, I don't like forms, but I kind of like this one. It turned out okay. Um, the mistaker, which is an actual word. The mistaker. And it describes me perfectly. The dictionary tells you it is one who makes mistakes. More than the average mother, I have made mistakes. When I have time, I take out my heart and remove one by one each split decision a mistake. I fell in love with her, my daughter, who appears light as a float stick. I am the snout of a dog digging underground mistakes. I pick up my daughter and place her on my hip to carry for her one less decision and the weighty cape of her mistakes. I want to carry my daughter and her thick capes. She gives half her bed to stuffed, immobile mistakes. We read the bedtime story of the farmer's wish to root the rabbit from his garden. Even while I read, I cage and feed mistakes. When she had time, my mother opened her palms and made amends. Before she died, I confessed the biggest mistakes. Maybe she also needed me to forgive her. I wasted time testing the weight, lift each one of the mistakes. Maybe like me, she carried hers like a daughter on her hip. At night, I try to still my mind's snare clap. It leads me where I've been through all mistakes. When she sleeps, my daughter's fingers drift like float sticks, but they're strong shovels. Dig your holes and wait, I tell our mistakes. Um, this is Epiphany. The 10th month, an unlikely location for it, or this morning, or this afternoon, when you are a mother who used to be a poet. You sit at the desk and have one hour to find it. It's here, somewhere in the mind's tiny gray flags, in the millions of scraps piling up. Or maybe you left it in the dark bleeding gums of the dog you love, watching her clench another rock from the tide 12 years ago. What was she looking for? What if she'd stopped looking? Metaphors were easy then, not only the sky, but migrating everywhere. And now everyone is arrow, arrow, arrows. Everyone harpoons. And I am the big heart, aren't I? When the dog was being put down in her last second, I whispered, squirrel. Um, this is the last one I'm going to read. And um, I wrote this series of poems, and I called them digressions, because I just thought I've, I've been like an ADD kind of person my entire life. Like it, when I'm having a conversation with anyone, I, everyone who knows me knows that I switch. 25 different times in a conversation to something more interesting or more like I just have trouble focusing so I thought embrace it and write digressions so this is a digression and it's called origami cat's cradle cat's cradle digression sometimes at night I don't try to get up and get it down one poem folds into the crease of another connection. They point their corners into other corners. The word daughter almost certainly contains the word duty when you fold it so. 
There is a Kenyan tribe. They take dust in their mouths, make paper from it, and send it to Japan, where 11-year-old Siberian girls wait in tiny pleated apartments to be models. Is it not true that watching a thing become another thing, watching string for that matter, turn into the Eiffel Tower with only three fingers and a mouth pulling at its peak is also art? I don't always write them down. I watched this girl on YouTube demonstrate Jacob's Ladder, Witch's Broom, Cradle for a Tiny Cat. With hands so small, the connections are effortless, in front of me in real time, being made and vanishing. Thank you, everybody. For more information about the Pivot Readings, go to pivotreadings.ca.